0: Well, I don't know if you're in touch with what's going on out in the world, but for me and my world, there is a season that has come upon us, and we call that season track season. Anybody involved in track season in one way or another, am I the only one? Man, I'm going to be up here all by myself. Well... Just in case you don't remember what track season is like, track season is that season when it could be 20 degrees outside or 90 degrees outside, but it's always blowing 50 miles an hour. That is what we call track season. I ran track back in high school, and uh, I was decent for a a little runner in a uh, small school. But most, for the most part, during track season, here's kind of how it goes. My daughter, Ella, uh, had her first track meet this last week. And so in a lot of, tr- you know, you have your serious runners and they're like, coach, I'm all in on the mile or I'm in on the 200, that's my thing. That's about 10% of the runners. And then there's everybody else. And the only reason they're in track is because they don't want to go to PE because they have to be in track. If they don't, they don't get to start on the football team next year. That's kind of the point of what track is. It's kind of that filler training For about 90% of the people. And so, coach usually kind of looks over at, you know, someone and says, Hatch, I want you to run the, uh, I don't know, you run the 800 this year, you know, and Hatch will say, well, yeah, okay, coach, I guess I'll run the 800. So, that's kind of how track season goes for most people. You just kind of get thrown in. In there and you do what you do and if you if you get lucky you only have to run the hundred meter dash because even if you stink at the hundred it's only you know 12 or 13 or if you're real slow 14 or 15 seconds of shame but if you get stuck with the two mile it's it's just horrible because it's just lap after lap after lap of embarrassment anybody ever been there or seen that and then if, if you really are, are, are not into it and uh, you come in last, you get the pity clap. You know, everybody's like, man. And you don't know, it's like, is, are they clapping because they feel sorry for me? Or are they clapping because it's almost over, we can move on to the next thing? I've never known that, but nonetheless, that season is among us. And here we are in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says... Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, the race that is set before you. God has given you a race. He, is, he calls out your name. He does it by the last name. I know he does. And he says, you, Johnson, Smith, whoever, you are going to run this race. Here's the thing. God never puts any of us in the 100-meter dash. We're all running long distance, my brothers and sisters. That's the way the race is geared, is a long race. And we have to condition ourselves mentally, even physically, but spiritually to run this race. In the race that we are called to run, it's, there's a lot of mind games involved. There's a lot of temptations to Quit. And we'll talk about that uh, as we go through this series. So we're in a book series, and we're doing this in all three of our worship venues, all five of our worship services. Uh, Pastor Craig and Shara are also preaching out of this book. It is from a book called Don't Give Up by Kyle Adelman, who is a pastor. And uh, we had a few of these left. I don't know if there's any more, uh, but there are a few left. Uh, There were a few earlier this morning across the hallway on the Welcome Center, and there were a few down at the intersection, kind of down on the other side of the atrium. Y'all don't all rush right now to go to them. But if you do happen to pick up one, I just encourage you to share with family members so that you can make room for other people to have, other families to have a copy as well. In the book... Kyle Eidelman talks about how we as followers of Christ are really running this race. I mean, that's what the writer of Hebrews says. And in that, we really have this need for encouragement. We need other people and other sources giving us encouragement as we run this race we cannot do it on our own despite what we've been taught all of our lives about how to live as individuals we have to have other sources being poured into us as we run this race and in the race we all will have multiple times throughout the course of our lives maybe even the course of our week whereby we are tempted to quit We're tempted to give up and just mail it in. Now, quitting has a lot of different forms. And as you read the book, you'll see how sometimes we can pretend that we're still going when in reality, we're quitting. Kind of like that person who's running the long distance race and they're running it about like this. It looks like I'm trying, doesn't it? Am I not jogging? But in reality, it's just a fancy form of walking, isn't it? It's just quitting that looks good. Because if I walked, even though I'm going the same speed, then, you know, it would even be more embarrassing or that kind of a thing. So quitting look has a lot of different ways uh, that it can look like. I think this is more important than ever that we learn about this word perseverance, which is right here in the text in chapter 12 of Hebrews, that we run our race with perseverance. We must be a people who know how to persevere. It is absolutely essential to the Christian life. It is absolutely necessary to following Christ as that we be a people who persevere. Now, that's hard for us because we're Americans. And as Americans, we've all grown up in a world whereby we're not used to persevering as much. We tend to have a lot of things just come right to us. If I have to wait two red lights in Lubbock, Texas, I get all worked up. Two red lights. I'm not used to waiting more than one red light. I'm used to not have to persevering in such difficult traffic. Life is hard, isn't it? But seriously... There are things in life that are real, and we all know this. We all have them. It could be relationships. It could be marriages. It could be our family. It could be our finances. It could be our health. It could be our reputation. It could be one of many, many things out there. And there are those points where we say, God, are you even with me? I'm just going to give up. I'm going to just outright forget all of this God stuff, and I'm going to go the other way. Or the other version of quitting is I'm still going to show up to church. I'm still going to say I'm doing okay. I'm still going to shake hands and put on a smile and tell everybody, I'm going to come forward for communion, put my connect card in the offering basket and go to my Sunday school and read my book and know my answers. But in reality, I'm just quitting. I'm not really engaging. Don't give up. Stay engaged, staying focused, persevering. This Hebrews chapter 12 begins with the word therefore. Well, therefore always implies there's something before it. If you back back up another chapter, we see Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11 is really the, the faith hall of fame, if you will. All these characters in the Bible, people who had faith. And because of their faith, God was able to do so much more in and through their lives than they would have ever seen or known in the moment. The only thing that got them through it was that they heard God, they believed in God, and they trusted in God over against all the other resistances in their life. There's nobody on that list that says Abraham had a nice life. He had multiple children. Nothing ever went wrong with him. He had a great job. He lived in the suburbs. He had an Amazon Prime membership, and he never got a late order, and life was good for Abraham, and he died, and God used him magnificently. It doesn't say that on any of those folks. It says there were difficult places. Uh, Some of them had, they even gave their lives up. They gave their comforts and their conveniences up. They did things that God told them to do that the world thought they were crazy. Those are the kinds of things of faith. Those are the kinds of things that require you to run your race. And your race is going to be a little different than your neighbor's race. It's a little different than my race. Even though we're all running long distance, God calls us all to different paths in different ways. So it's going to look different for each of us. We have to square up with God on the race that he calls us on. One of those people in the uh, Faith Hall of Fame is Abraham. And Kyle Eidelman in the book spends a lot of time talking about Abraham and how God called him to go to a place that I will show you. He doesn't even give him the Google Maps, none of that. It's just, hey, go to this place I will show you. And the Bible says that Abraham believed in God. He trusted in God. He said, okay, I'll go. Later on in the the, uh, book of Genesis, in, in this book, God says to Abraham, you know that son I gave you, Isaac, the one who is the miracle child? The Bible says that God tested him. And says, I want you to take Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham said, okay, I'll go. That's the stuff of faith, is it not? Of course, we know that God never commands people and never would follow through with the sacrifice, uh, human sacrifice in the Bible. The only human sacrifice that God ever approved of is when he gave his own life, his own son. That's the only sacrifice that's truly approved of uh, in the Bible. But we are called to be a sacrifice in many different ways. And for Abraham, this was a big part of that. And a part of that was because he believed. We are a people of faith. That's really what constitutes us as the church. We're not here because we're a social club. We're not just here because we're here to do some good things. We're not just here to hear some kind of message that hopefully is somewhat inspirational. We are here because we are a people of faith. We're here because we believe that God is big, that God created us, that God loves us, that God uh, wants to forgive us of our sins and have a real relationship with him, and that somehow that has to do with the way that we live our lives out in the world. That is why you are here today. Faith is absolutely essential to what it means for us to be who God has made us to be individually and as a church. And Abraham is a wonderful example of faith. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. The second person that uh, is highlighted in our book here in that Faith Hall of Fame is a guy by the name of Jacob. And I've preached on him uh, not too far in the past. But Jacob was this little conniver. He was a deceiver. He used the world around him to get what he wanted. We all have a little bit of that in us. Uh, everybody has been a two-year-old we all know how to do that we can do that as we grow up and be a little more sophisticated with that Uh, hopefully we have overcome that to a large degree but Jacob was a selfish person he used the world around him and deceived the world to get what he wanted well in his family of origin he really had run out of credits with his family and deceiving his own family members so he had to run away he, he spent up all his relational capital. He ran away to the extended family. Well, after a couple of decades being in a community, if you will, with his extended family, he had deceived them so much so that he ran out of credits there. And Jacob came to this place in his life where he was between his family of origin and in his extended family, and nobody wanted him around. And it's in that kind of crunch and in that kind of pinch that Jacob was forced to face himself. And facing himself and facing God are very, very, very similar. We're in a season of Lent. Lent is a season of confession. It's a season of repentance. When we repent and confess, we're basically holding a spiritual mirror in front of our face. And we're saying, man, I would like to say that I'm a good looking spiritual being, but I've got some issues. God, I confess these before you. That's really where Jacob comes to, is he comes to this place where there's no more running, there's no more deceiving anyone else, and there's no more deceiving himself. And so God comes when Jacob is facing God face-to-face, and he wrestles with him throughout the night. And in this wrestling match, Jacob doesn't let go. It's like the one virtue that he has is the virtue of perseverance. The virtue of courage, of continuing on. So if you're a stubborn person, and I know some of you would attest that you are. Some of you would attest that your neighbor is. But if you're a stubborn person, use that to the advantage of wrestling with God. And never, ever, ever give up on that kind of wrestling. What does wrestling with God look like? Well, one of the ways we wrestle with God is when we look in the Bible and we don't understand what we're reading, we don't just say, well, that's dumb. I'm just going to throw this over to the side. No, we stick with the text. We say, God, what are you doing here? I don't understand this. I don't get this. Maybe you heard me over the last month kind of wrestling with the Beatitudes a little bit. That's part of what it means to engage God. When we wrestle with God, we wrestle with him in prayer. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, What's going on? This part of my life, it's not going the way I thought it would go or the way I want it to to go. Lord, what are you doing here? That's engaging. That's wrestling with God. Jacob wrestles with God all night long, and at the end of the the night, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. There's a, a blessing on the other end. One of the things that's very important in this race whereby we must persevere is that we must know there is something out there. You don't really run a race unless you know there's some kind of prize, there's some kind of finish. You have to have it to keep going. It's a crucial element for perseverance. If you look at the text today, it says, Consider Jesus who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or Lose heart. Well, what did Jesus do? It says, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He had this vision of what life would look like in his resurrected state. He knew that if he was faithful to God, his loving Heavenly Father, that God would raise him up and be faithful to him. Jesus knew the joy before him. Because of that joy, he was able to endure the things of the cross. You and I must have a similar joy. If we have nothing that we're going for, we will not be able to persevere. Kyle Otterman says it this way. He says, Sometimes you have to fight through the night to get to the blessing. It's page 56 in the book. Sometimes you have to fight through the night to get to the blessing. There's something on the other end if we stay engaged with God. So his first chapter, keep believing, focusing on Abraham. His second chapter, keep fighting on Jacob. The final chapter that we're going to look at today, he says, keep perspective. Keep perspective. You know, when I when I'm counseling somebody and they're going through a difficult time, it's so much easier for me to have perspective on their life than for them. Because when you're in the middle of the battle and the middle of the struggle and the confusion and you're giving yourself and you're exhausted and you're grieving and you're whatever it is, you're struggling. It is so easy to think I'm not getting anywhere. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm going in circles. And you need people outside of you to say, no, you're, doing, you're moving. I want you to know you're getting somewhere. You're moving forward. Keep going. Keep fighting. Keep persevering. Do not stop now. We must have those people in our life to help us have some perspective. The entire Methodist revival was pretty much built upon groups of people who would gather together and say, how is it with your soul? That requires people to speak into one another's life. Someone would share that and then others would know that and it would give some kind of external perspective. I was shocked, as probably many of you were, by the events of the helicopter crash of Kobe Bryant's death uh, three or four weeks ago. And as I was reading up about that event and how the experts, the pilots who are experts kind of weighed in on that and and they talked about how when you're in the fog and you can't see where you're going, that your your mind and your body will play tricks on you. You think you're going down and so you pull up or you think you're going up so you you go down. You you try to adjust based upon what you're perceiving. Even people with thousands and thousands and 10,000s of hours of flight experience Experts can get confused by the fog. And so, the number one rule for pilots when they're flying in a situation like that is what? Trust your instruments. Trust your instruments. Trust your instruments more than you trust what you're thinking or what you're feeling or what what your intuition says. There are times in your life where you have to trust your instruments. You have to trust those things outside of you, external to you, to give you the perspective that you need to have. If people would trust their instruments, if pilots would trust their instruments, they're much more likely to make it through the fog when they can't see what is going on. What are our instruments? Well, the community of faith. That's a huge part of our instruments is that we speak into one another's lives. We have people around us who help us to work through difficult seasons of life. Trust your instruments. Another instrument is the Holy Scriptures. We read the Scriptures. It gives us encouragement. It helps us to stay the course. It's one of our instruments. And then, of course, prayer is a serious instrument. We continue to go to the Lord in prayer so that He can shape our, the way that we're perceiving our own situation. I think most of the time when we pray in difficult situations, God sometimes God actually changes the situation. A lot of times, He just changes our perspective. Prayer is a way that we get in touch with our instruments, the Holy Spirit. We're running a race. The coach has called you by name. He has set a race out for each and every one of you. It's not going to be the 100-meter dash. So let us settle in. And ask God to help us. The beauty in all this is that we have one who is called a pioneer of our faith. A one who has gone before us. Somebody who has run that race and his name is Jesus. And he ran the race well. He ran it perfectly. And he is the one who goes before us. And so while you and I have our own race to run, we have someone who is with us. Someone who is going to show us the way. Maybe right now you're in a season of life where you just feel like giving up. You just want to quit. Maybe you want to quit on a relationship. Maybe you want to quit on a job. Maybe you want to quit on a church. Maybe you want to quit on just reading your Bible or engaging God altogether. Maybe you just want to give up. What is it in your life where you're tempted to give up? Is it relationships? Is it your family? Is it your marriage, your finances, your health, your career, your work? Maybe it's God calling you to leave something behind and enter into something else. What's your moment of test and your moment of uh, perseverance and your need for that? Take whatever is in your race and let's bring it together before the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, the race before us, you have set. Would you give us the strength to keep going, to believe in you, to believe in your blessing, to believe that you are with us, to do the kinds of things where we will know that we can keep on even when we want to quit. Show us, O Lord, how to continue on Show us, O Lord, how to persevere, to know that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.